Welcome to Most 15, the reunion. I'm Annie B. The site I was at the longest was in Vigna in Zambezia province, and I worked as an English and computers teacher at the secondary school there. And before we get to Annie's interview, we're going to have a quick word from Most 16er Shane. Hey, Most fam, this is Shane from Most 16, Shamoyu. James was very generous to give me a minute here to speak about Friends of Mozambique which is a 501c3 nonprofit founded by Moe's RPCVs, is a way of continuing to make a positive impact in Mozambique post-Peace Corps service. The most important thing that we do is fund small grants to community groups in Mozambique. Projects have ranged from everything from teaching girls to code to youth empowerment through soccer. As a small organization, we are very intentional about choosing small, always less than $1,500, but impactful projects to get the most bang for our donors' buck. The best thing about Friends of Moe's is that 100% of donations go directly to projects in Mozambique. We have essentially zero overhead and have a great board, including former country director Carl Swartz, Peace Corps staff Ophelia Shuva, and uh, several RPCVs who you may know. If you want to learn more about Friends of Moe's, go to friendsofmozambique.com, follow us on Facebook and Instagram, we're not on the TikTok yet, but maybe one day. You can learn more about our projects and make a donation if you are able. We guarantee your donations will be making a huge impact in Mozambique. Um, thanks, everyone. So, Annie, what makes you happy? Spending time with my family, uh, especially when everyone's in a good mood, and um, when I can get into a really good book, uh, which I don't really find myself able to do as much anymore, but that's what I enjoy. If someone didn't remember you, how would you describe yourself from Peace Corps 2010-2012? I was young, right out of college, brown hair, always in in a ponytail, never wore my hair down. Kind of took me a while to warm up and and find a place within our group, but I don't, I don't quite know how people would remember me then. Uh, I do know that our first night in Maputo, I didn't put the mosquito net fully around my bed, I guess. And I got bit um, by some whatever bugs all over my face. And my face swelled to the point where I couldn't really open one of my eyes. Um, and that was how I met a lot of people in the morning. And that was when they took our picture for the ID cards for that map in the Peace Corps office um, as well. So throughout my service, I would get people coming up to me and being like, oh, you're Annie? Like, you don't look anything like your picture. So that was always kind of interesting. And that even happened to my roommate uh, at a most 14 roommate at my original site. And she was like, I had no idea what you looked like because your face was swollen shut, basically. So that was my intro <laughs> to Mo's. I don't remember that at all. So it either wasn't that bad or I did not encounter you at all the first day possible. It was very dramatic to me, but maybe not anyone. And what have you been up to the last 10 or 11 years? How did you get from Mozambique to wherever you are right now? I did some traveling and then I came home to Oakland in California where my parents live, worked some random jobs, um, met my husband, my now husband about a month after we got back. Um, And then while in Moz, I had applied to to social work school, grad school. So I started that um, later that first year in Berkeley, UC Berkeley. Um, and then I went on after grad school to be a medical social worker at a hospital. And um, now I actually work as a 
outpatient palliative care social worker um, for the same health system. Do you have an office inside a clinic? Um, I work part from home, part from a clinic, like a outpatient clinic. Um, I do telehealth, video visits, phone visits, and then I also do home visits. So sometimes I drive all the way, all around uh, to see people in their home. Did you want to get into social work before the Peace Corps? I don't think so. Uh, I I kind of realized while I was in Mo's, I helped. I occasionally would go to the little clinic in um, at my site, my second year, and uh, help one of the nurses. I attended some births, some prenatal visits. And I was, I kind of realized I do want to be in medicine, but I'm not good at science. There was no way I was going to like get through nursing school or anything. Um, and so this was a way to get into medicine without doing any science. Um, and I kind of just went for it. I just was like, seems like a good profession, varied options, opportunities. So what was your undergrad? English. <laughs> Very useful degree. And so when does someone call you professionally? In my current role, we work with people with serious illness, more um, like end stage illnesses often. Um, and so they're referred to our program by their doctor, their oncologist, their neurologist, whoever, um, to provide an added layer of support to their already existing medical team. Um, so I work with doctors, nurses, other social workers, we have a pharmacist and a chaplain, and we really try to reduce the stress and burden of serious illness for folks. Um, we do symptom management, we talk about the future, plan for the future, goals of care conversations, and then what I do is all the non-medical stuff. So a lot of emotional support and counseling um, for patients and their families uh, who are going through through this through this time. So what's emotional support look like from a social worker? So I'm a licensed social worker. So like I could open my own therapy practice. So I don't provide therapy in this role, but um, kind of therapy adjacent counseling. Um, so we talk people talk about, we talk, I talk about death a lot, honestly. People want to talk about what they're worried about. Um, uh, kind of, we do a lot of life review. Um, I provide a lot of support to families who are going through anticipatory loss, anticipatory grieving, um, a lot of family dynamics. When someone is really sick, all the family dynamics come out. On Death and Dying, does that, does, is that the famous book from like maybe the 60s or something? Yeah, that sounds right. Have you read that? I don't think I've read that one. Um, but I have read a lot of books in that genre, like Being Mortal is a big one by Atul Gawande. Yeah, my, my little library is full of books about dying. So I found On Death and Dying to be excellent. Anyone that is either going to die or know someone that's going to die. Everyone, yeah. Mm -hmm. People don't put themselves in the dying person's shoes very easily or well. Unfortunately, I read this after my father had passed away and it was one mm. of those things like, damn, kind of wish I would have read this before. Yeah, we live, I always tell my patients, we live in a death denying culture. And so actually a lot of people think about death all the time um, and especially when we're faced with it. And so 
I think of a lot of times my role is to be like the person that can, we can talk about it and it's not, I'm not going to be scared by you talking about it or, um, or anything like that. So yeah, it gives me a weird frame of mind where I'm like, everyone is sick. <laughs> everyone is dying when, when. Well, it depends on your perspective, right? Yeah, we all are dying, but some people it's more acute or more visible. Or maybe like after you fully mature as an adult. So maybe if you're under your mid twenties, maybe you're not quite dying yet. You're just. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. How many patients, clients do, do you have at, at one time? Uh, my caseload is about 50. Um, I don't see them all all the time, but um, that's how many people I'm technically following. And I see people, some people I see daily for a few weeks. Some people I see every six months. It really depends. How many more social workers does our U.S. society need? <laughs> that's a good question. I mean, I, I think we need a lot more. Um, I mean, the mental health crisis, crisis, especially after the pandemic is huge, um, where it's taking people a long time and difficult process to get into mental health care. So, um, yeah, definitely a lot more. And um, a lot of health systems are not, they're not prioritizing social work as much, um, especially for older adults, you know, needing just a little bit more handholding through, through the medical system, through life transitions. Um, I, I wish health systems saw social workers as imperative and needed as I do, but they don't currently. I'd, I'd asked this question to a few residents recently, and I, I said, if your hospital had $500,000 and you could hire uh, one doctor or seven nurses, who would you hire? And they all said they would hire the seven nurses. And so I was like, well, what if you had to cut one doctor or seven nurses? Of course, they all chose to cut one doctor. So I'm going to give you the same question. Your health system has $100,000, or no, no, let's say $500,000. You can hire two doctors, eight nurses, or 16 social workers. <laughs> that definitely shows the, the uh, salary difference. So that's good uh, or not good. And you can split that up. You can do uh, one doctor, four nurses, and eight social workers. Honestly, what I would do if, if I had some money is I would open a dementia center um, for my health system uh, where you'd probably have a, either a part-time doctor, nurse practitioner, nurse or two, social worker or two, where anybody who was diagnosed with um, Alzheimer's or other dementia could go and have an added layer of support. Um, in navigating what that disease looks like, that would be, that's like my goal. Like I, I honestly want that for my health system, um, for every health system, but that's very much needed as people age and it becomes, I think dementia actually is more of a pandemic than COVID, to be honest, at least now. Well, let's, maybe we'll, maybe we'll come back to your profession as well later on, but how was your transition back to the U.S.? I don't think that it was very different than many other people have said, you know, grocery stores were overwhelm, overwhelming, um, smartphone thing that I think people have mentioned. Um, I do remember my ride somewhere got messed up when I was traveling and all I wanted was to just like get a balea. I was like, how come I can't, I know people are going where I'm going, 
I just want to be able to like hop in someone's car. I remember thinking that a few months back and I was like, well, that never <laughs> happened in this large American city. In in the US. So so you were back in the US traveling. Yeah. And I wanted, I, I remember thinking, I really want to get a Balea right now. Um, that would just be so simple if I could hop in someone's car. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think it was fine. I think it also helped that I, um, I had like a plan. I kind of got into grad school soon after we got back. So I knew that was happening. I ended up in a relationship. Like it kind of just, I, I don't think I, I think I lucked out in a lot of ways, um, with when I got back. So made it a little easier. So did the Peace Corps or Mozambique prepare you for the lockdown and pandemic at all? Um, I actually found that a super interesting question when you started asking it, because I'd never thought about that. Um, like during the pandemic, I wasn't when during lockdown, I wasn't like, oh, I'm glad I binge watched TV in rural Mozambique for two years. Um, I'm sure it did, but I, I, I don't know. I had a two month old when the Bay Area shut down. Um, and my husband was a firefighter, so he was gone a lot, um, wildfires and just his shifts. So spent a lot of time home with my baby um, on maternity leave. So that was nice in some ways, but definitely isolating. And I definitely binge watched, binge watched similar to how I did in, in, um, in Mo's. What do you think is most surprising about you now, considering who you were in Mozambique, either for you or for us? Uh, I honestly really want feedback on that question. And I, I don't know that I would be able to get it because I'm not in contact with a lot of um, our group. I don't think I knew you well enough in Mozambique, and I definitely don't know you well enough now. <laughs> yeah. We lived far away from each other in Mozambique. <laughs> yes. I do. I do remember you visiting Portland. Do you, do you remember that? Yes, I remember visiting Portland. I remember that we lost at um, Trivia and they let us choose. I don't know if you were there, but I remember in Portland, we played Trivia as a group at a bar and um, we came in last place. And so they let us choose the a theme, a category for the following week. And we chose Mozambique. And I really, really, really hope that somebody who lives in Portland went back and killed that category because no one else would have any clue. Uh, I definitely did not go back. That's for sure. <laughs> I do remember meeting up with you. I don't remember the the trivia part. I this is a fun story that maybe five listeners will will enjoy. <laughs> but but you you and your husband had you, you probably weren't married at the time. But but you had driven up, and you had said, "Oh yeah," and, and we were talking, and I was saying how my parents lived in Grants Pass, and you're like, "Oh, you know, we stopped at this nice little restaurant in Grants Pass, and Grants Pass maybe only has like two nice little restaurants." So I was like, "Oh, which one?" And and do you remember the nice little restaurant you went to? Yeah, yeah. I I think I remember Ian giving me a hard time about this too. Maybe it was you, but I thought it was Ian. Uh, yeah, like Shari's or some some diner, or was it not Shari's? What I say? Was it? You know, I I was thinking it was Elmer's, but it must have been Sherry's. Could have been Elmer's, yeah. It was Elmer's or Sherry's. So if anyone's in Oregon, Elmer's <laughs> and Sherry's are kind of like Denny's. Hey, man, when you're driving 12, 14, 16 hours from the Bay Area to Seattle and you've slept like in your car or whatever, you know, why not? We weren't that far out of Mozambique either. So I was probably like, this is delicious. <laughs> it was really funny when we found out that it was like Denny's. Yeah, yeah, this really nice place. It's called Denny's. Have you been there? 
Yeah, I remember that. Yep, I got yep. I'd still go there. We still we still go there when we drive to Seattle. Oh, everyone still goes there. But yeah. <laughs> How many first dates did it take you in, to find your husband? Uh, one. Uh, yeah, one. I met him like we got I got back what in December. I met him in January. Um, we went on one date. And how many cats do you have? No cats. Don't like cats. <laughs> Husband's allergic to cats. But we do have a dog. Um, she's a crazy dog who barks at everything and is like traumatized by her early life. But... Did you rescue? Yeah. Yeah. Have you picked up any new hobbies? When I first got back from Mozambique uh, with my husband, my now husband, we did a lot of um, rock climbing indoors and outdoors, um, hiking, backpacking. We had a um, we stay in our truck in the truck, um, and then um, so that kind of um, what's it called that uh, defined the first few years when I got back was doing a lot of um, outdoors activities like that. Um, and then we kind of had to stop uh, a few years back. My husband developed some pretty serious cardiac issues. So we're not doing that so much anymore. So I'm kind of looking for new hobbies, I guess, right now, besides parenting, um, looking for some new hobbies that I can do it with my family, given our current situation. So is that an invitation for listeners to, yeah. to toss some ideas <laughs> towards you? Sure. Yes, absolutely. So with your husband's heart, how much better off is he having a spouse who's a social worker versus let's say, uh, I, I think teacher is the most common profession we've had so far. Yeah. So I actually started my job in palliative care a month before all the things started happening with him. And so I am able to use my understanding of how the medical system works to get through, like just with referrals, just like I understand how it works and I can help advocate. And then when he's been hospitalized at the hospital I worked at, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I just know what to do and who to talk to and how to get things done. Um, so that is really helpful. Uh, it, it is hard because I work with people who have the same diagnosis as him, often who are much older, twice his age or, or more. So um, that gets hard as far as like my work and my personal life mixing and how do I, you know, how do I avoid, you know, not just deal with serious illness all day? Um, so it's a double-edged sword. It's good, but also it would be nice to not have, to not work and to not see my husband and a lot of my patients, if, if that makes sense. It seems like you'd be more empathetic, but you're saying like that, that empathy maybe makes your life more difficult. Yeah. I think it goes both ways. Like if you, you can use your experience, like I think a lot of therapists or mental health workers like use, use their experiences, use the, the, the pain they, they have or um, whatever they've gone through in their life. They use that to inform their practice. So I can definitely use my experience to inform my practice. Um, at the same time, it's also like, how do you protect yourself from constantly being within that realm of serious illness, especially at, you know, my, I'm in my mid thirties. Like it's not a, it's not, we're not at the same stage of life as most people who are dealing with this. So it's just, it's an, it, it goes both ways. How have your politics changed? 
I don't think they've changed too much. I, you know, similarly kind of lefty as I was 10 years ago. Um, but now that I, I work directly with people who are, you know, getting screwed by the system, uh, left out of the social safety net and struggling um, and not able to access services and our lack of services for older adults, honestly, especially kind of definitely lower income adults, but definitely also middle, middle income older adults and getting the care they need. Um, that's really where I see it and where I always wish we kind of had more available for folks. Which which is the bigger current aspect? Not enough access or not enough information about what is available? The programs aren't good enough. Like if you, a lot of people, especially where I live, they're just like middle income. So they make too much for a lot of the like low income services through Medicaid, Medi-Cal, um, but they don't make enough to pay for the care they need, which is very expensive, especially in the Bay Area. Um, if you need a caregiver or assisted living or anything like that. Um, so there's just a lot of people who are just in the middle there. Um, in California, especially, we don't have good um, services. I think some other states have better, even like Arizona, I think, New Mexico. So. And then who was the last Mozambican you spoke to, text with, saw? Um, I mean, I get some random messages, you know, from students asking for money or whatever, but Actually, this podcast inspired me to reach out to my like best friend from Mozambique, one of the teachers' um, wives. She was also a student who lived in my neighborhood. Um, so I started Facebook messaging with her, which was really nice. And that was solely because I was like, I really should do that. <laughs> I miss her. She was, she's great. I'd like to go pre-Peace Corps. Why did you join the Peace Corps? I think I was like just not super happy and like I kind of just want to escape the <laughs> escape this and go do something completely different um thought I might kind of learn about myself um I also just wanted to have a plan after graduation uh and I thought that this would give me a plan just like something to do I didn't like you know as an English major so what was I going to do with that um so yeah I just kind of went for it <laughs> I didn't really think too much about it how did you end up in Mozambique? Um, I don't know why they picked me for Mozambique specifically, um, but I applied for Peace Corps, I think at the beginning of my senior year of college, because I'd heard it took like a year and I wanted to, you know, go. <laughs> um, and I told them I wanted to go to Sub-Saharan Africa and they said, great, take French. So as a senior in college, um, I took French one all year. Uh, with a bunch of freshmen. It was at 9 a.m. five days a week. And I was just like hung over every day as like at like 22 with a bunch of 18 year olds. Um, but I took French every single day. And then the day of my final in the spring, um, I got an email from Peace Corps like a few hours before my final saying, congratulations, you're going to Portuguese speaking Africa. And I was like, are you kidding me? I just spent all year taking French every morning at 9 a.m. Um, and so I was like, well, whatever, I guess it doesn't matter how this, what I've learned, uh, my final goes. And um, I remember my professor was kind of pissed for me. And then on the day of my college graduation, I got the big thing in the mail about Mozambique. Um, and I was pretty excited. I just wanted to go to Sub-Saharan Africa. I didn't really care. Just wish I hadn't. You, you probably could have taken Portuguese at like 1 p.m. 
Right. Exactly. <laughs> that would have been amazing. I totally, yeah. What was your biggest fear about going to Peace Corps in Mozambique? I don't remember having specific fears. I think I just didn't think about it um, on purpose, probably. I was pretty ignorant. Um, I didn't like, I think people have said they did a lot of re like kind of research or thinking about, I don't know, internet research, hearing about other people's experiences. I didn't do any of that. Um, I just kind of went. I know my mom was super worried that I would never come back. She thought I would stay forever. Um, and that, that was made her anxious, but I did come back. And now I live down the street. <laughs> so she thought you weren't going to come back because you, you were unhappy with the U.S. and you were going to just love life over there or you were going to get abducted and killed and end up in like a Somali pirate ship. Exactly. No, no, because I would like like it there and like, you know, live there. I, I, I guess maybe she was worried I would get kidnapped, but I think it was more just that I would live across the world from her. What do you remember most about Namasha? To be honest, Namasha was not my favorite part of service. Um, I really, I really just wanted to go to site and like do the Peace Corps thing. I wasn't really that into living with a host family. I didn't speak good Portuguese. It was like overwhelming to be in these big group settings all the time and like trying to find my, my way. Um, my host family was lovely. There was like nothing wrong with them. Um, I just, I just had a hard time honestly, with, with training. It yeah, does it seem like most of the people who were interviewed liked Namasha. That's what I, that's what I have heard from the ones I've listened to. I, I think that's a fair summary. I, I was thinking about that when I saw, saw your notes, I was like, I don't think, I don't think I would say I necessarily liked Namasha, but I guess if I was going to talk about it, it might sound like I did. I honestly, when I think about my Peace Corps experience, I don't think about Namasha at all. I don't think about Namasha at all. No. Nope. I don't even remember my host mom's name. I do remember that my host father was the um, baker. He made the bread at the like most common, most, like the biggest bakery. So that was cool. Is there anything else about Namasha you'd like to share? When they met with us about where we wanted to go for site, I didn't really know what to say. I, I think I wanted to be pretty remote, um, but I was also kind of nervous to admit that, or I don't know what I ask for that. Um, and I'm not a beach person. So I knew that if I got a beach site that it would be wasted on me. And there'd probably be a lot of more people who would want a beach site. I also was mostly worried about being hot all the time. Um, growing up in the, the Bay area where the weather is very mild all the time. I'm not good at heat. So I told them, they said, what do you want out of site? And I said, I want it to go to the coolest, coldest possible. I mean, not cold, but colder possible site. So I think that's why I ended up where I did, honestly, because it was like in the, in the mountains um, and it would be really foggy, which is kind of how the Bay Area is. Um, it was a really good match for, for me. I was not very hot all the time. <laughs> what was your original site? So I got placed in Garue in Zambezia, which is like a district capital. Um, so like not a big city, but kind of a quote unquote city-ish um, with the most 14er. And uh, they had a lot of, um, there were a few security incidents before I got there and then a few security incidents while I was there, none of which really affected me either. Um, I wasn't 
there at the time or um I don't know I just wasn't really affected by then but it got to the point where they moved us maybe two-thirds of the way through the year um and I moved to Invenia which is 20 kilometers or so outside the city um so not too far away also I lived at the most 14 or for a few months and then I had the site to myself the following year but it was a like a boarding school um, run by nuns, um, just basically like a school, a teacher's neighborhood and like a small market. Um, and that was a really great site. They're both really great sites. Um, and it was cool because I would go to get anything, any food or anything, I'd have to belay it to my old site. Um, so it, it kind of just felt like an extension. Okay, so let's transition to your Mozambique service. You had mentioned that you went to the Peace Corps because you wanted to, to learn about yourself. What did you learn? I mean, I learned I don't want to be a teacher. I don't want to work with teens. And now I'm going to work at the other end of the um, age spectrum. <laughs> I, I just, I learned that there's like other, other ways to live. And I don't know that I've really been able to incorporate, you know, the kind of Peace Corps or the Mozambique kind of lifestyle into my current lifestyle. But um Okay, I guess the the main thing I learned was kind of the limited power that we have on on others. I don't I don't know that I don't know what I expected to do in in Peace Corps, but definitely gave me the um the outlook that is very social worky of like um self-determination and kind of supporting other people on their journey. Um and that's definitely what we did in 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 Peace Corps. We kind of were like we are here to help whatever we can, but we also can't really help that much. It's kind of up to other folks to to do that. Um, and that's how I view my job is like, this is your life. Like, how can I support you? Or maybe you don't need that. And that's fine too. Um, you have self-determination. You're going to go how you're going to go. Um, so I do think Peace Corps and social work values or what you learn from Peace Corps and what you do as a social worker overlap. So was there something to learn about yourself? <laughs> I think I learned I'm not actually that good at being alone um, and that living by yourself in the middle of rural Mozambique is very difficult. And uh, yeah, I, I found it quite, quite challenging. And I, it was pure perseverance and not wanting to ET that I stayed. Should you have gone home earlier then? I'm glad I didn't, but I don't know if it might've been, I don't know. It might've been good. I, I don't know. I don't know if I would have felt that I let myself down. I don't know. Yeah. I haven't got anyone that's ET'd yet on, on the podcast. I'm hoping we'll, we'll be able to talk to some people that, that made that other choice. Yeah. I think that would be fascinating. What three words would you use to best describe your experience? So I wrote down uh, red dirt, just my house um, was on this, not a busy road, but a road and uh, every, you know, if I had been one house in, in the teacher's neighborhood, I wouldn't have been covered all the time. Um, but the red dirt is everywhere. Um, I would also say isolated. Uh, I didn't have self, cell phone service on my second site. Um, I had electricity, but no cell phone service. So the cell phone service from the city was blocked by this like mountain. Um, but then they actually put up a cell phone tower for whatever, what is it? Movitel. I think someone said Movitel. 
but they didn't turn on the cell phone tower for like almost a year. And so you, all the time we would just stare at this big cell phone tower. And then finally, like a month or two before we COS, I got cell phone service. Um, I also was pretty isolated because Zambezia is a really big geographical province, but they didn't actually put a lot of volunteers in Zambezia. I think there were like four, most 14, most 15ers there and a couple of the other, like there were not very many and it was a huge province. Um, so it just, and it didn't really fit in. It wasn't, wasn't like you were in the North, but you weren't in the central, even though Zambezia is like considered central Mozambique. So it just, it was kind of just this random, like gate, like, um, no man's land <laughs> in Zambezia. Great, great place, but kind of just random. And I was really far from the EN1, like six to eight hours from the EN1. Okay, I was about to ask you that. So if you wanted to socialize with other Peace Corps volunteers, how long would it take you? There were some around and some people got moved. To see Mo's 15ers, I think there, there was one in Kelamani, which was like six, eight hours by Shapa. Um, like hours, <laughs> hours and hours to get to a Mo's 15er. Um, Mo's 16, there were a few around. How about Shimoyu? How long did it take you to get to Shimoyu? Well, Kilimani was what, six hours and then another six hours, eight hours. Yeah, it was far. It was a whole day to get to Shimoyu. So my other word I wrote was uh, chill. I mean, that was just like, you know, life and Moses chill. But I think it also helped me chill out. I, I used to be very on time or early. And now even I guess now I'm like, I'm OK being a few minutes late, not not two hours, but a few just like more understanding and patient. What do you miss most about Mozambique? Um, I think just that, like what I said, like the pace of life, sitting on your veranda, passearing, saying, you know, knowing your neighbor, saying hi. We had so much freedom. I mean, this is the time of life too. Um, but just freedom to be spontaneous. I liked that there were like no rules. <laughs> I mean, I guess there were, but we didn't follow them. I remember when people were saying that they um, didn't tell Peace Corps they were traveling. I was I had forgotten that we were supposed to because I, I don't think I once did tell Peace Corps I was traveling. What do you miss least about Mozambique? The transport. A lot of people said the transport. I was fortunate enough. I was never in a, a serious car accident. Um, my like where I was injured or um, in any way, but my dog, Bowser, um, got hit by a car while I was waiting for a Balea and he was hanging out and he got um, hit by a car. And then I paid some Mozambicans to take him away. And I don't know what they did. I was like, please go. He wasn't dead. I was like, please take this dog and like dispose of my dog. Um, so that was sad. Um, and then also when my parents were visiting, we hired a car to take us from my site to Ilya. Um, and we were going through a town, um, and it was one of those where it's like, you're going pretty fast. And then there's a town for like a blip and then, you know, and he, the driver slowed down. Um, and the kid, I don't think it was the driver's fault. Honestly, he wasn't driving recklessly. A kid just ran into the road, like a four-year-old and he hit the kid and our car got like mobbed of all the people, all the Mozambians just run, you know hitting the car and coming around and my parents were just like you know mortified and terrified and 
we like brought the the kid and the uncle of the kid into the car to take them to the hospital and I remember asking them like is the kid breathing like I, I was trying to assess like how hurt this kid was and they like didn't respond and we dropped them off at the hospital and we have no idea what happened and I'm always like I don't know if in rural Mozambique, like, were they even going to be able to do much for this kid? No. So did he survive? Just like those types of things, just, and all the other things people have said, it's just terrible. Remember there was someone that Forrest had met was talking about a serious, like a similar issue. And it's just crazy to think of how common that, that scenario is in places in rural Africa. Mm -hmm. just like a driver driving a kid being a kid like nobody really did anything wrong per se you know it was just a tragedy so we did were were your parents kind of living like peace corps volunteers while they were visiting no i did not take them on a shopa or balea with them um we like hired cars, but like a hired car still isn't like that nice. So they did a pretty good job. We stayed in like the fans, you know, nicer hotels, but there was still like no hot water, you know, no hot water. So they did. For people in their 60s, they did a really great job. How's your Portuguese? Apparently it's pretty terrible because um, my family and I, we went to Lisbon last fall when I was on maternity leave to visit some friends that live in Lisbon and um I tried to speak Portuguese to some people and then they would just respond in English um so apparently it's not good but just I can't speak Portuguese but I was able to like kind of understand what's going on read signs and read stuff so it was helpful for travel but what is something you did a lot in Mozambique that you either never or rarely do now I was trying to think of something that people hadn't said um before and I I used to keep all my money in my bra. I mean, I think a lot of the girls did, but um, I don't do that. I don't go to the bank and take out hundreds of <laughs> bills and carry them around in my bra. I think even at one point I was like traveling at some point, I had my passport in my bra too. I was like, whatever, I'm not. So if someone wants to steal it, then at least I'm going to see them stealing it. What was your malaria medication adherence plan? I had to think about this a lot. I, I think I took valerium for a long time, like good into far into the second year. Um, cause I didn't really realize that you could stop, uh, <laughs> or like, I didn't talk, wasn't a topic of conversation that I'd learned that so many people stopped until then. Um, and then I did stop for the last little bit and I, I did have some really horrible, um, hallucinations and, in Namasha, actually, I was hallucinating that there are rats on my mosquito net. And I think I called my mom on like our Peace Corps phone, like I, in my hallucination, called her um, and was screaming about the rats on my mosquito net. And I'm sure she was like, what, what the hell is going on here? Um, but yeah, I, I, have, I appreciated when you talked to some folks about the malaria medication, because I think it 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 definitely affected me and I didn't know at the time that that was such a bad thing. Like I should have dealt with it more and not taken it or taken something else. Yeah. People mentioned that there was a screening. I don't have any recollection of any screening or any information about the malaria options. No, 
I think they're better now. It seems like it seems like from what I've gathered from a Peace Corps forum that now they present three options and people choose. Okay. Yeah, that would be better. I just feel like I was like young and dumb and I, they were like, take this medicine. You don't want malaria. And I was like, I don't want malaria. But it really did impact my mood and my dreams. And Even for someone like me who was a college graduate, if people would have asked me, do you, does your family have any history of mental illness? I think I would have maybe said no, because I didn't even really know anything about mental illness. Right, right. Now, if you asked me now, I'd be like, oh yeah, a lot of people in my family yeah. have mental illness. So in that, in that case, I would actually, I was actually probably at risk. Yep. <laughs> I, I agree. Do you have any funny stories to share about Mozambique? I don't know if this is funny to anyone else, but, uh, about a week before I left site, I, I hired a guy um, from Guru, from like the city from Guru to come out and um, uh, we ran around and got the like Matu pack of dogs and we, well, I didn't do it, but I kind of helped wrangle them all to, to give them the rabies vaccine. So it was like me and like some dude <laughs> running around the Matu. Um, a little girl had died of rabies like a, a year or two before I got there in my in the small town. So um, I don't know. I thought it was a cool way to like, maybe actually do something that could help as <laughs> uh, I had money and I could pay this guy to do it, but we were running around and everybody thought we were crazy, but hopefully. How did you find out about the guy? Did you do it later in your service because you didn't know that it was possible or? I'm sure there was, there was like a vet in the city. He was like the vet guy. Um, I don't know where I got the idea. I, I honestly don't know. I just have a picture of my mind like we were running around in <laughs> the pack of like kids following us and we were getting the dogs. What was the worst thing you did in Mozambique? You can define worst however you would like. Actually doing something that we all did, which was Balea. Um, I, I went to Beer Olympics the first year with um, my most 14 roommate and we picked up, we were like, in either southern like Safala, northern um, Inyumban area, uh, there were it was me and then four most fourteeners, and we were playing uh, outside this town. Um, and we actually got picked up by the police and taken to the local jail. Um, and it was totally a um, totally they just want us to bribe them, and we probably should have just bribed them. Um, but you know. And I kind of let the most 14ers lead the way because I was still new, but I'm like, we're teachers, whatever, what, you know, like, and then they were like, you have drugs, you have drugs. And they were like searching all our bags in the jail, like going through everything. And one of the other most 14ers, she had some weed um, in her bag. And then she somehow in the jail, like I blocked her and she like put it in her underwear and they never found it, but they did find some this like vitamin C powder that one of the other volunteers had and they were like screaming at her was this whole big debacle. And I was like, are we literally going to be stuck here? It's like Mozambique in jail for hitchhiking and having, you know, drugs. Um, and somebody called the central guy. What was his name? Was it Ophelio? I don't know. Somebody said his name. Um, he was amazing. He showed up. He like, I don't know if he bribed them, but whatever he got us out, but I was like, damn, I just went to <laughs> hung out in a jail for six hours in Mozambique. Um, and then we went to beer. We got some ride with some South African 
and showed up at beer Olympics and drank for a few days. So that's how we dealt with uh, <laughs> the trauma of going to jail. I would like to think that the Peace Corps staff has enough leverage where those police officers would be disincentivized from doing that again. What, what, what do you think? I don't know. I mean, nothing like that ever happened to me again. I didn't hear any other stories. Not that, I mean, I'd love, I'd be curious if that happened to anyone else. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. It was pretty wild. Um, cause we'd only been at site a few months. Like we were pretty fresh. Yeah, it was, it was pretty scary at the time. Boris and I have, have our own little locked up abroad okay. story and okay. I'll save that for my <laughs> okay. interview. Is it my, it's probably much worse than, than mine. You'll have to wait. Yep. Okay. Cliffhanger. <laughs> so how has your Peace Corps changed you? You, you wanted to go and find out about yourself. So how have you changed any lasting impressions? I volunteered or I like kind of went with one of the nuns who was a, a nurse to the clinic um, sometimes in, at my site. And I wrote my grad school essay about like entrance essay about that experience. Um, and I was later told that I didn't get into grad school. I had no experience that was relevant, but I got in because of the essay. Um, and then I know my husband uh, really only started talking to me when he found out that I was a Peace Corps volunteer and he thought I could like, I don't know, poop in the woods or something. He was like, oh, this girl can like do that if she was in Africa, lived in rural Africa. Um, so I think that it like kind of set me up for some, some good things. Um, and I hope it helped me be a little bit more like open and, and, um, good at kind of listening to others, like their experience, have them, have them teach me. That's what I try to do in my job. Do you have any Fofoka to share? No, <laughs> I don't. What do you think of Peace Corps as a government agency? I'm pretty conflicted about it. It was definitely a good experience for me um, at 22. Um, I'm glad that I did it. Uh, I have some, I always wonder like if there's a limited amount of money that our, I mean, our government has, I, there are worse ways that they could spend it, I think. But um, sometimes I'm like, is this the way, like, I don't know what their budget is, but is this is this what we should be using the money on? I don't know. Yeah, no one quote me, but I, I think the Peace Corps budget is very small. Relative to the yeah, US. Relative yeah, to yeah. The, relative to what we spend on lots of things that I don't agree with, uh, I'm sure. <laughs> but yeah, I even then, like, you know, the people I work with every day, you know, they're not able to get a caregiver to come help their, you know, demented spouse for four hours a week. Like, you know, there's lots of things that we we need to spend money on, um, we need to make available for people. So I don't know. Would you do Peace Corps again? And if so, when? I remember when I first graduated from grad school, uh, I never look at the like RPCV site or whatever, but um, I had looked and there was an opening in Swaziland for uh, a teacher at the social work school, like to teach social workers. And I remember thinking like, that would be cool. Like, here's something that I I know about. I mean, I didn't at the time as I was new social worker, but like I, in theory, knew about this and could actually maybe uh, teach something valuable other than English to, to teenagers. Um, but 
So, so I think that that type of thing I could see myself doing um, in retirement. I know my husband, uh, they, you know, he, they would never let him <laughs> join um, with his medical issues. So I don't know how things will play out, but um, I don't know that I would really want him in rural Africa, <laughs> but yes, in theory. Well, you go to South America, you go to uh, Eastern Europe, you know, you could that's Asia. True. That's true. That's true. It's funny. I don't even think about going anywhere, but back to like Southern Africa. Should, should I just be blunt? Sure. I don't care. Okay. Annie, are, are you a more negative person than the average uh, most 15er? I think so. Uh, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I mean, I do talk about death all day, um, which doesn't have to be negative, but it kind of is, is dark and a lot of people perceive it that way. So I had, I was reading through your notes last night and there could be a couple of reasons, but, but I, I had this feeling that yours was maybe a little darker or a little more ne- negative. It didn't go that way at all during, during this episode, but mm-hmm. I, so I, 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 I was forming a couple different theories. Um, maybe you're more honest, maybe other mm-hmm. most 15ers are liars. Um, <laughs> may, maybe you just happen to be unlucky. Uh, maybe, you know, like there's like all, all these different reasons that maybe could put you in, you know, along a different, and of course we're all on a spectrum. I mean, I think everyone has their shit, um, that they're dealing with and we all definitely dealt with a lot of shit when we were in Moe's. Um, I think, yeah, I probably came across today more, more, uh, positive than I normally am, but it is, it was kind of fun to also to talk about something that I don't talk about a lot. Um, or just talk about myself as like a, like brand new, like how often do I, I mean, I don't, you know, meet that many new people who don't know what I've been doing for 10 years. Um, so that's fun. But yeah, I, maybe I just wrote a little bit more negative than I spoke about it. When, when you meet someone and talk about Peace Corps, do you focus more on struggles and hardships? What do I say? I like people have said, you have like two minutes to get across what you want to get across about Peace Corps. So, um, yeah, I say, I always say like, it was really good for me at 22. I don't know that I would, um, do the same thing again now, but yeah, it was, I always say it was very, very hard. Um, a lot harder than I anticipated and I'm, but I'm glad that I did it in retrospect. Um, people get pretty freaked out when, um, you know, I tell them about how we traveled or different things that happened. When I make connections with, let's just say a conversation I'm having in the U.S. with Peace Corps, I think my the go-to connection that I share is how Mozambicans had way less stuff, but they were more happy than yep. Americans. That's like that's like kind of the connection that that I probably shared most, and that is that's obvious. That seems very positive to me. So I would say I'm probably way more likely to share positive aspects of Mozambique whenever I bring it up to people. Yeah. And I'm more likely to bring up like death, <laughs> like the difficult things that, that we experienced, but both are true. When should we teach our kids about death and what should we teach them? Yeah, that's interesting. My, my husband's grandma died recently and my son knew him, knew her. Um, so we did have to talk to him about that. And that was kind of interesting. Uh, fortunately it was pretty removed. So he wasn't like sad about it. Um, 
but yeah, I think it's honestly, and in my line of work, I talk to people about this a lot too, because I, I work with people who are younger, have young kids or, or young grandkids. Um, and just honest age appropriate information. Um, and you know, we talk a lot about illness too. The other day, my son was asking me, um, my husband wasn't feeling well. And so he was like, well, why doesn't he just take a medicine? He just needs medicine. And I was like, well, the medicine, you know, not doesn't always fix how we feel, you know? So trying to explain to him that like, when you take medicine, it's probably going to make you feel better or it is. But like when dad takes medicine, um, it like, we're not going to be able to use medicine to make dad feel better. And so that's been interesting to navigate with him. Yeah. So my daughter to, to, to hijack your, your interview a little bit, she's definitely at a, at a phase where she's asking more questions about death sometimes, or just even like talking about it more. The other day, I thought this was hilarious. Helen didn't, didn't find it as funny. (laughs) She was just like at the table coloring or something. And she was just, she's like, "Uh, daddy, when I'm a teenager, if mommy's still alive, I want her to dye my hair. And it's just like, (laughs) I thought it was so hilarious. Oh gosh. (laughs) Oh gosh. Yeah. But like for, I mean, like she doesn't quite understand that mommy should definitely be alive yeah in like <laughs> nine to to 15 years <laughs> yeah right right it's like when i'm a teenager that's like a whole i know that's that's i can't even conceive of when that would be yeah because you don't want to be like you don't want to guarantee something right because we don't know i mean this is how i view the world i'm like oh, no yeah i should be or i should be alive when my kids are teenagers you know they're three and one um but we don't know that that's going to happen. It's likely that I will be statistically like extremely um, likely, extremely likely that I'll. Yeah. But so I am always like, I'm trying not, I try not to give like, um, you know, yeah. When you're a teenager, you know, I, I guess I do say that when you're a teenager, we'll do this, but do try to couch it a little bit more. And like, we can't predict, but again, that's my line of work. And I just see these things happening all the time. I'm jaded, I guess. You think that's better or worse? Well, so I joke with my uh, call, my social work colleagues that we're, we don't actually know anything about medicine. We're just exposed to it all the time. And so we're, we're always like, oh, I have a headache. I'm, you know, it must be a brain tumor. Like we're very fatalistic because everybody we see who was like, oh, I had this really bad headache. And it's like, well, you know, they, they are really sick. So, um, you know, we're dangerous because we don't, we don't actually know anything, but we kind of do. But yes, I hope Jamie or I hope Helen is is uh, able to dye your daughter's hair in 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty confident she will be. And the fun, the, the other fun, funny part was she wanted to dye it brown or like black or something like it wasn't <laughs> even an extreme thing. It was. And now for post Mozambique media recommendations. Yeah. So you were an English major, which, which books can you, can you recommend? Um, I think a a bunch of people have asked, have mentioned Pachinko, which is like one of my favorite books. Um, And then the book I think about that goes along with that. I mean, it's very different, but it's called Homegoing by, I'm not going to be able to pronounce her name. Great. Yagiasi. It's a similar book where it's like multi-generational, like trap tracking a family starting from like pre-slave trade western africa and then like through to you know modern you know 
Black America. Um, so that was a fantastic book. I think she has another book too, uh, more recent, that was also good. Do you have any live performances to recommend? So <laughs> I recently saw at SF Broadway come, um, not, I wrote <laughs> Come As You Are. That's a book, a really great book, <laughs> Come As You Are. That is um, a good book. <laughs> that's not the name of the performance I wrote. I wrote okay. Uh, it's called Come From Away, and it's a Broadway musical. Uh, I don't know if people have seen it. I hadn't heard of it, but um, it's about uh, all the people that were um, diverted basically from Europe, flying from Europe to the U.S. or like more east to the to the U.S. on September 11th and how they got diverted to Newfoundland, this town. And it really it was amazing. I was just like blown away by the performance um, and also kind of showed me about similar to how Mozambicans are where like if you show up and you're like hungry like they're not going to let you be hungry like you know they're just going to offer kindness to you most of the time like we all experience not kindness but um they really have a giving nature in Mo's right and so that was kind of how I how I read it how I felt um with this performance and it's on Apple TV I haven't watched it but um they have a, a showing of it on Apple TV it's it's a recording of the musical or it's a re yeah. okay yeah i think like how they did hamilton i think they have come from away how about children's media so my son is 3 and he uh he loves w- the wimmel books um which are they're kind of like where's waldo uh where it's there so there's no words in the book um just pick very detailed pictures and then you can follow characters through the pages of different things so like going to the airport and it's like all the different stages of in the airport um and so it's a great way because then like the kid is able to kind of tell you the story or you can kind of talk about it together um so he really likes the Wimmel books um and then he really just watches uh the cars trilogy on repeat (laughs) That's his favorite thing to watch. So that's what we watch a lot. Is there anything else you'd like to share? No, I just, I've, everyone said it, but I've loved listening to everyone's experiences and I appreciate that you've put together this project. All right. Well, thank you for your time, Annie. We, we will keep in touch. Did you join the Slack group? Annie's on the Slack group. If anyone wants to reach out. And she needs <laughs> new hobbies. <laughs> Annie needs some new hobbies. Non, non super um, active. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Annie. Thanks.